This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 115, 115. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. And today our show is sponsored by St. Michelle Wine Estates Shake the Vine Contest. You, sh- you should enter this contest. The deadline is uh, about a week away as I record this, so uh, do it quick. And uh, the deadline is July, oh, excuse me, June 30th. 2015, and you could win one of eight, well, you could be one of eight finalists to uh, get $1,000 towards your travel to Tales of the Cocktail, and once you're there, you'll be in a contest and compete for a grand prize of $5,000 and then two runner-up prizes of 500 so uh, yeah, it's a great contest, and I highly recommend that you that you uh, check it out. Go to shakethevine.com, or you can go to my website, bartenderjourney.net, and you'll be able to click through there. And uh, like I said, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you you need to follow a few rules, of course. You know, you're going to use the. Uh, it's all about uh, incorporating wine into your cocktails. So you'll you have a list of items that need to be incorporated into the into your cocktail recipe, and. Uh, it's worthwhile doing, and I hope you enter, and I hope you win. And uh, if you're going Tales of Cocktail through the contest or not, uh, be sure to drop me an email. Let me know. It's vince.bartender at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. Or you can go to search Facebook for Bartender Journey. And, uh, and on bartenderjourney.net, you can leave a comment under each um, blog post. So, uh, yeah, get in touch if you're going or uh, even if you're not going. Get in touch for any reason. I love hearing from you guys. Hey, this music we're listening to right now is called Springish by Gil Cuddy. So uh, this week on the show, I visit Colin Spolman at the Kings County Distillery. Kings County, for anybody who doesn't know, is another name for Brooklyn, New York. And uh, yeah, they're making whiskey in, uh, in Brooklyn at the Brooklyn Navy Yard, actually. And it's a really cool old building, and uh, they're making great stuff there. And I had, a, I had a great time meeting with Colin and seeing their place and uh, tasting a little whiskey. So that's great, and you'll hear that coming up soon. Hey, don't forget to stay tuned all the way to the end of the podcast. At the end, we'll have our toast. We have a toast at the very end of the podcast every week now, and uh, that's fun. If you have a good toast, let me know, and we'll use it on the show. Uh, again, email me at vince.bartender at gmail.com. So the book of the week this week is The Kings County Distillery's Guide to Urban Moonshining, How to Make and Drink Whiskey. It's a great book, uh, great observations in here, and uh, I like how they talk about um, when you're uh, when you become a grown-up and you go to a bar and you sit on that stool and the bartender is going to come over and ask you a question and you better have a good answer. <laughs> That's great. And uh, he talks about how uh, you can kind of get away as a, as a, as a grown-up, you can get away with maybe not knowing so much about wine, but but with liquor, you, you better uh, you, you need to know. And uh, so you usually you'll pick uh, one or two drinks that you'll, and you'll drink the same thing everywhere you go. And uh, that can work. But it's uh, great to explore and, and find out not only uh, more about the stuff that you're drinking, and but even how it's made in this book. It'll tell you how it's made. And uh, there's some recipes at the end and, and recommendations on, uh, on stocking your bar, your home bar, with, uh, with uh, some great whiskeys. So check that out. Uh, you can go to bartenderjourney.net and click through the link to Amazon uh, to buy the book. Or um, 
the resources page. I'm going to update that. Uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this, uh, you'll see the resources page uh, on the top. There's a link to that on bartenderjourney.net. And uh, kind of all the books that I recommend uh, will be on that as long as well as some other products like uh, like Chris Tunstall's course, which is, uh, which is awesome. It's an online bartending course. And uh, there's tons of information on there, tons and tons of uh, great information, short, a very short series of short videos and uh, about uh, cocktails and bartending and spirit knowledge and all kinds of things. So uh, you can check that out on the resources page on bartenderjourney.net. So before we get to my talk with Colin, uh, industry news. The, uh, the keg of beer has seen no technological advances in about the last uh, 50 or 60 years. That's when uh, they moved from wooden kegs to the stainless steel kegs that we see now. And, uh, but Heineken has patented a product. Uh, it's a 20-liter a, uh, keg as opposed to our, um, our standard keg in the United States. We call it a half keg. You can't really get a full keg, <laughs> as far as I know. <laughs> hey, your half keg is your standard keg, and that's uh, approximately um, a little less than 60 liters. Heineken's new keg is 20 liters, um, so it's more like what we call a six-tall uh, in size. But anyway, the uh, the process is very different. Uh, there's a recyclable plastic container, but inside of that is a is a bladder with um, the beer in it. And then in between the two, there's um, pressure, and there's there's a there's an air compressor that p- pumps a little air in there, and that's what forces the beer out. And uh, it's supposed to keep keep the beer really fresh, and it's supposed to pour perfectly every time. And as you probably know, as a bartender, the uh, kegs are always, you know, if the temperature is not perfect and they haven't been clean lately and this, that, and the other thing, and they, they pour foamy, a lot goes down the drain, a lot gets wasted, a lot of time gets wasted uh, trying to get that beer just right in the into the glass. And uh, yeah, this is, uh, any any help with that is, is more than welcome. So uh, I look forward to um, getting a chance to hopefully try out this new product from Heineken. All right, remember, at the very end, we'll have our toasts. But right now, let's talk to Colin Spolman from the Kings County Distillery. Well, Colin, thank you so much for uh, bringing me into your place today. It's a very awesome space you have here. Sure, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, so uh, how long have you been making whiskey here in Brooklyn? So we got our license in April 2010. And for the first two years of business, we were out of a little space in East Williamsburg on Meadow Street. Uh-huh. And then moved into this building in 2012. Yeah, it's such a cool area. I, I had never been down here before. It's inside the gates of the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Right. And so the Navy Yard is uh, zoned, well, the, the U.S. Navy left in 1966 and gave the land to the city of New York, uh, who has been managing it as sort of an industrial campus ever since then. Hmm. So um, there's no housing, there's no commercial. It's all uh, manufacturing of some sort here in the yard. Huh. What other kind of businesses are down here? Uh, it's a very eclectic mix. <laughs> um, sweet and Low is packaged here. <laughs> There's um, uh, sculptors and woodworkers. There's the Brooklyn Grange, which is a rooftop farm. Um, Steiner Studios, where they shoot uh, Boardwalk Empire and Girls. Nice. So uh, it's, it's interesting. It's a cool place to be uh, in the sense that it's not really part of a neighborhood. It's its own... Um, district entirely devoted to uh, you know business how fun and so 
apparently it wasn't that unusual to make whiskey in urban areas before prohibition, right? Right. Well, so if you go back and look at the long view of history, people associate distilling with Kentucky and Tennessee, but um, New York City uh, certainly was home to most of the production of distilled spirits until maybe, say, the 1840s, uh, 1850s. There were a lot of Irish distillers here. Um, who moved with uh, the wave of Irish immigration in the 1850s and 1840s, um, who built a lot of large commercial distilleries here on the waterfront. Um, so in fact, this, even though we're in the Navy Yard, we're sort of adjacent to what used to be the distillery district uh, during the Civil War. Um, and I, and I, so I read in your book, there were whiskey wars in that area, and the yeah. troops were housed right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's this weird... Um, <laughs> It's sort of fortuitous piece of history, but um, in the 18, after, well, basically, whiskey was first taxed before the Whiskey Rebellion. That was back in sort of George Washington, Alexander Hamilton's time. Um, but then the whiskey tax came back to stay uh, in, the eight, in 1862. And so uh, basically you had a lot of immigrants move to the United States, start these large commercial distilleries, and then the whole business model changes when the federal government starts to rely on that money to pay for uh, the Civil War and for Reconstruction. So you had a lot of people who were distilling illegally, um, what we would call today moonshiners, although that concept existed but, but hadn't really... It existed in Europe, but not really in the United States yet because... Um, basically your right to make alcohol. Um, so uh, in any case, you have a, a group of distillers in the neighborhood that we're adjacent to um, that are breaking this, uh, that are distilling illegally. And then the federal government had troops here stationed in the Navy Yard. And so they would send raiding parties into the neighborhood to go destroy all the illegal stills. Crazy. And then, but that, that tax on liquor you're talking about was pretty much the only source of income for the federal government at the time, right? There was no income tax. Yeah, in, in the late part of the 1850s, or the, let's say the late part of the 1800s, that whole sort of uh, 50 years, the government got more than 50% of its revenue from alcohol excise tax. And the income tax, I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but I think that was not until the 19-teens. Mm. So uh, the government, as it was sort of expanding, before the Civil War, the federal government was a much smaller uh, entity and therefore required less financing. And so after the Civil War, as the government grew, it came to rely on this money for, uh, to do business. And so distillers primarily, and then to some extent brewers and winemakers also mm. contributed to that. Cool. And so you grew up in a dry county, right? So moonshining was kind of a, a, a thing. as we yeah. <laughs> So yeah, where I'm from, prohibition was actually never repealed. <laughs> so uh, there were bootleggers, who were people who were not necessarily manufacturing alcohol so much as uh, they would just go to Virginia, where it was legal to buy alcohol, and then bring it back uh, and then sell it. So mostly the bootleggers were selling commercial packaged alcohol, not necessarily moonshine. Uh, but you could get moonshine, and that's kind of how I got first interested in moonshine, was being back in Kentucky and and visiting the bootlegger and getting and getting moonshine. So. So that's, that's sort of how you figured, hey, I could do this, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, 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 it was, uh, I brought it back to New York, and New Yorkers were very intrigued by it. Yeah. I mean, it was something that was not a part of New York City's culture. Exactly. So <laughs> through that kind of curiosity and enthusiasm, I you know, got interested in this in a way that I might not have been had I stayed in Kentucky. 
right right yeah yeah i, I mean i grew up i grew up in the city and there, i mean the thought yeah. of making your own liquor i never never even crossed your mind you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's, it's it must be a uh, quite an endeavor to get something like this going huh yeah <laughs> well uh you know it, it has grown incrementally over the years so we started mm-hmm. very very small and with not a lot of money and then as the business has grown so too our production has grown to sort of match that right right you mentioned in the book the uh the first dis- the first kind of commercial distillery in America was in Staten Island, which is not that far from here. Yeah. I've seen that, that statement. It's a one-sentence thing. It's been in maybe three or four books, including yeah. yours. Right. And I'm like, well, if it's in three or four books, it must be true. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it, it is true that there was a plan to start a distillery. It didn't last very long. And we don't know much of what was produced there because, in fact, a lot of the papers for the colony got lost in a shipwreck. So, <laughs> along with uh, Willem Kieft, who was director general of the Dutch New Netherland Company at the time when they built this distillery. So he was kind of getting ousted, sailed back to the Netherlands, and then his, his boat sank. Oh. So, uh, and along with it, all his papers. Okay, I see. So we don't know what was being distilled there, although we do know that they were growing peaches on Staten Island, or whether that that peaches somehow factored into a dispute with the Native Americans. Hmm. So it's possible they were doing a peach brandy. Hmm. Um, Beer was readily available back then, so they could have been distilling whiskey. Um, And then, of course, rum, very shortly after this moment in history, would become very popular as a British export. So um, it could have been any one of those different distilled spirits. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, this is uh, I, your book is great, by the way. I love it. I love the uh, I love the, the diagrams and the uh, the, the uh, bourbon or the whiskey family tree is yeah. great. That's a great thing, and uh, you, you outline exactly. I mean, you show a, dia, a schematic of your place, which is yeah. so cool, and and recipes actually on how to make bourbon. So it's 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 a great book, and it's feels good to hold it. I like the the cover. The cover is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your first uh, venture into writing? Um, it's the first venture into writing that ever <laughs> got into a book. Form. Uh. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been uh, curious about uh, a lot of things, and, and anyway, it was a great opportunity to kind of apply that curiosity in such a way that people could come along for the ride to some extent. I mean, I think that was the idea behind the book was not necessarily, even though it's called The Guide to Moonshining, it's not necessarily how to make your own whiskey, but more how to join, how to embrace your inner curiosity and hear ways to express it either through um, exploring commercial distilleries or distilling on your own or cocktails, uh, that all of those different ways to kind of, um, or, or history for that matter, to, to get into the, the sort of culture of whiskey. Yeah, yeah, and learn about what you're drinking. I like, I like what you said. You said, um, "How could you? How how can you know so little about something you do so often?" That was a great line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's true because I I tell you, I mean, it wasn't until maybe ten years ago that I knew why some spirits are clear and some are not. You know, and I, I, I think that's <laughs> true of a lot of people. I don't think that's you know most. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you give, know that don't give it much thought, really. <laughs> right, and that's the great opportunity of being a craft distillery is you can you can. Um, we have an opportunity to connect to people that won't be able to get down to Kentucky uh, either because they just don't have business that's going to take them there or they're not that curious such that they're going to spend you know, a weekend all the way traveling just to go research yeah. what they drink. But they wouldn't mind coming to Brooklyn for a day. And so yeah. that, that 
um, is kind of our opportunity and has allowed us to, you know, grow into the business that we are today. Well, it's a fun, fun. I love it. I love, I love visiting as many distilleries as I can. I find it really interesting, and I love the the small distilleries are so fun because the people are so. I mean, you're you're the guy making this stuff, and you, you know, and and I found their uh, people making it are always very passionate about their product, which is very right. cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is it. And you have a chocolate whiskey, which I've never heard of before. <laughs> True. What so the, the chocolate whiskey is, I mean, I guess the idea, uh, initially I thought it's, it's made with a husk of the chocolate beans. So the, it's actually sort of a byproduct of the chocolate making. It's discarded early on in the chocolate making process. Um, it's sort of the shell. It's woody, fibrous. It doesn't have any nutritional value. And as such, it's not something that could be distilled. It's, it's sort of fibrous and there's no starch or sugar mm. that you could ferment. But because it's sort of the woody part of the chocolate, it has actually characteristics more in common with the oak of the barrel. Mm. Um, so you can get flavors from the chocolate that are alcohol soluble, but wouldn't necessarily be um, water or fat soluble. Mm. So in a sense, I mean, it's, it's in the category of flavored whiskey, so it's you know, up there with, you know, like cherry flavored or honey flavored uh, bourbons, which I tend not to be that interested in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is very bitter, and I would, I would you know, I think it's very sophisticated and, and um, unusual. Cool. And so that's kind of the, 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 the opportunity with being a craft distillery is to, you know, to be sort of more wildly experimental. Right and to get behind something that a lot of people would <laughs> think is you know whiskey drinkers are, are sort yeah. of appalled by the idea of chocolate whiskey um but on the other hand it's good and so yeah. and and maybe if that wins the day then yeah cool then it's okay well so you have the you have white whiskey which you call moonshine which right, sure. that that definition of that is a little it's a, it's a term that is very uh fraught with <laughs> emotion but you you stay behind you you pick that name and you're then you're sticking with it right well i mean you know the truth is 10 years ago the word white whiskey people didn't understand what that was right and that word has now come along to sort of replace moonshine for people who don't want to say moonshine or feel like moonshine is too complicated and has too much baggage mm. um but if you were talking about white whiskey 10 years ago you were probably using the word moonshine right and so um because that's that's what people understood to be clear whiskey whiskey right. that hasn't aged yeah um so at this point yeah i mean we could go back and put white whiskey on the label i guess but no it's, it's great why, yeah you know, why not <laughs> yeah i mean for me because i only really got interested in distilling through moonshine as opposed to aged whiskey um you know i think there's a at least as far as the culture of our own business i think that makes a lot of sense and is a way to communicate to people yeah i i, th I think it's i think it's bound to be kind of a breakout product with cocktails and things because people you know a lot of people are you know vodka drinkers and they're trying to we're trying to as bartenders try to introduce people to something new and maybe they'd be a little less scared of something that's not brown right, for whatever reason so yeah. <laughs> i think you know i can see it i can see it definitely yeah, uh, you know, increasing with every, with every other category of distilled spirit whether you're talking about rum there's a silver rum yeah. or, or white rum with tequila there's a silver tequila yeah with brandy there's eau de vies and grappas um so in every other type of spirit the unaged version um you know is considered alongside the aged version right uh maybe it's not as expensive or 
But it's it's a part of every you know every culture that has a, a distilling culture. There's also a corollary unaged spirit, and so for whiskey to not have that opportunity, I think is kind of yeah. unusual, and just it really goes back to prohibition when people were afraid of anything that was distilled. You know that this whole moonshine fear of moonshine, which had a lot to do with more the government's. Uh, propaganda and ways in which they were discouraging people from uh, from drinking during prohibition. A lot of that legacy has trickled down into people's attitudes about about white whiskey, and and I think that's due for some examination. And well, the original whiskey was white whiskey before it was sure. uh, uh, the the original story is it was whiskey was made by the farmers and put in barrels and shipped down the river and yeah. then once it got to New Orleans it tasted better and it was brown it was <laughs> and aged incidentally if aged at all I mean that said I think um, people have always understood that that aging spirits to some degree improves them and so even in those early days uh, well or or redistilling them I mean people were also um, would pay more for uh, spirit that was distilled multiple times. So interestingly that in George Washington's distillery, his three and four and five times distilled product was more expensive than his twice distilled product, which is to say that when in those days something that was cleaner or more like vodka could command a higher price, which, uh, you know, it's just, it, just, it just speaks to the way that the culture of spirits changes over time and what people value at one moment in history mm. will inevitably be forgotten and, and mm-hmm. their children will value something totally different. Right, right. That was a fun day, a real fun day. I, I walked across the Brooklyn Bridge to get over to uh, the Kings County Distillery and it was a beautiful summer day. And then uh, actually I walked back across the Manhattan Bridge. Um, <laughs> I was going to take the subway, but I ended up walking. And then I met some friends downtown on Stone Street. There's uh, like 20, not 20, there's probably eight or 10 bars uh, all on this one short street uh, in downtown Manhattan. And the streets are, the streets actually, you know, paved with, with stones. It's really cool looking. But on beautiful summer days like that, they put out tables and chairs right in the street, uh, close, to tra- <laughs> close to traffic, of course. And uh, you can drink outside and it's just packed full of people and it's uh, so much fun. And that's about a block and a half from Dead Rabbit. So uh, after that, we went over to Dead Rabbit and had some drinks. And uh, that was a lot of fun too. That is a great place. And of course, uh, nominated as uh, top cocktail bar, top high volume cocktail bar for Tales of the Cocktail this year. One of four uh, nominees, one of four finalists, and uh, well, well deserved. It's a great bar. Anyway, Colin and I spoke for quite a while longer, and uh, he showed me all around the Kings County Distillery. And uh, the audio quality is not great; it's kind of echoey, and it was loud in there, machines going and stuff. But I'll I'll try to uh, get around to posting the full interview for you, the uncut version. Uh, so you can hear all about how they make the whiskey and uh, have, have a nice uh, virtual tour of the distillery. I'll post that up on bartenderjourney.net so you can download it. So remember, our toast is coming up at the very end. And uh, But first, I'll tell you, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. The, bar, the website is called bartenderjourney.net. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Barkeep Tips. Feel free to email me for any reason at vince.bartender at gmail.com. And uh, Facebook, just search Facebook for Bartender Journey. And uh, please do me a favor, go to, bar, go to uh, iTunes 
and you can um, you can give us a rating, five stars being the most, and you can uh, leave a nice review. It would really be appreciated. It really helps out. And uh, go, go to the website, bartenderjourney.net, and pick up a book or two or something uh, through the site, clicking through from bartenderjourney.net through to Amazon. That helps out the show a little bit, and uh, we, we could use a little help to, uh, to keep the show going. There's a lot of... Uh, you know, there's expenses related to uh, putting this show out. So, uh, including hosting and uh, bandwidth uh, and travel and all these things. So, um, microphones, <laughs> computers, electricity. So, uh, and uh, drinks. I got one here. Cheers, guys. Oh, we'll have our toast in a minute. Don't forget. Okay. So, uh, as I was saying, yeah, do me a favor. Go to bartenderjourney.net, click through, and buy something. We're listening to Late Night Tales by Lee Rosevere. All right, here's our toast. Here's to all of our friends in hopes that wherever they are, they too are drinking to us. Cheers. We'll see you next time on Bartender Journey. (laughs) 